Amen. Hey, before you turn around and shake hands, let me say this. I was out talking, so I was late getting in. Sorry about that. Um, after today's service, on each service, so right after, very briefly, um, we're going to meet with all the men that are going or planning on going to the men's conference, or if you kind of want to see information, we've got a packet to hand you, so it, it will not take long. Um, it's not like teenagers where we have a ton of rules and do's and don'ts, right? Um, but we do want to give you some information so you know where you're going and when you're going to get there, right? So as soon as service ends and we give about five, ten minutes to get kids and say goodbye and hug people, we'll be right back in here, hand that out, and then we'll go. Does that make sense? Everybody got it? Say got it. All right, now turn around and say hi to somebody, all right? Good deal. I'm gonna sing in the middle of a storm Louder and louder, gonna hear my praises roar Up from the ashes, hope will arise Death is defeated, the king is alive Are you excited about him living today? Let's go! Come on, church!
I'm gonna sing in the middle of a storm Louder and louder, gonna hear my praises roar Up from the ashes, hope will arise Death is defeated, the king is alive hey. Sing a little louder. 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 I'm gonna sing in the middle of a storm Louder and louder, gonna hear my praises roar Up from the ashes, hope will arise Death is defeated, the king is alive Amen trust you no matter what I feel let faith arise let faith arise for a champion's not dead he is alive and he already knows my every need surely Come and rescue me And oh, oh God of miracles come We need your supernatural love To break through Nothing's impossible You're the God of miracles
shaking my heart is breaking but i'm not broken yet your love is fearless help me to be courageous too oh there is nothing impossible oh god of miracles come we need your super natural love You're the God of miracles. We praise the God of miracles. Oh, we praise the God of miracles. Oh, we praise the God of miracles. I hope you have praise in your heart for what God's done for you. And I don't know, I, I, I see breakthroughs all the time in my life. Anybody else see that? Like, and I'm not just talking in mine, but around me as God's moving in people's lives and, and things that he's doing. Sometimes if we're not careful, if you're anything like me, right? Um, God will move and then we'll see the attacks of the enemy and we'll, we'll take our eyes off the movement of God and we'll look at what else is going on around us. And y'all remember that story in the Bible? If not, we'll visit this where... Moses is bringing them out, they're complaining, and all of a sudden, these vipers come into the camp, and God tells Moses, you, you resurrect this thing. You put this rod on the heel that has this serpent around it, and when people look to it, they'll be healed. But if they take their eyes off of it, they're gonna die. And so you had serpents in the camp or something on a pole. And, and I, I tell you this right now, you either have the problems of the world in your view, or you have a risen savior sitting on the right hand of God. And if we got our eyes on the victory of Christ, then even though the snake's in the camp, we can still succeed. Does that make sense? And so don't think world that you live in and the life that you live is gonna be without struggle. It's gonna be there. But the Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And at some point, we've gotta get our eyes off the battle and onto the champion, right? And so I don't know where your heart is, where your eyes are right now, but maybe you take a time and you just take a prayer and say, hey God, shift my focus. My focus has been off. And I gotta be honest with you, that's the story of my life lately. It is easy to look around instead of looking up. Anybody say yes to that? It's easy to start talking to people instead of taking it to God. Anybody say yes to that? All right, so not today, not here, not now. Claim this ground, this moment. This is your holy ground. This is your burning bush. This is your moment with God and nothing else matters. The past is not in focus. What is in focus is the fact that there's an almighty God that wants to speak to you. Are you willing to hear the words he says? 
And if so, then I like how Moses approached the bush. You get down, you get holy, you lay it out. You say, okay, God, I'm here to worship. And then you hear the voice of God say, take those shoes off, you're on holy ground. So I'm telling you now, the church cannot create a moment with God with you. Because God is seeking moments with you all the time. It's when you determine that the ground you're standing on belongs to him. Where you are is where you are with him. And at this moment, you're gonna shift your eyes and say, hey God, it's about what you want. It's about bringing praise to you. So in this moment, let's lift some praise. Let's tell God how good he is. In the next moment, let's hear the voice from the bush telling us the will, the plan, the purpose he has for our lives. I promise you it's coming. So let's continue worship. Let's give as we worship this morning. All right, let's praise him. I'm calling on the God of Jacob, yes, whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. Oh, I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean I need you now to do the same thing for me I'm calling on the God of Mary whose favor rests upon the lowly can you say this today I know with you all things are possible, oh, I'm calling on the God of David, who made a shepherd boy courageous. I may not face Goliath, but I've got my own giant, so giants oh god my god i need you oh god my god i need you now how i need you now hey oh rock oh rock of ages i'm standing on your faithfulness on your faithfulness on your faithfulness, oh God, I'm standing on your faithfulness. You heard your children then, you'll hear your children now. You are the same God. You believe that? You are the same God. Come on, sing it. You answered prayers back then, and you will answer now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You were providing then. You are providing now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You moved in power then. God moved in power now. You are the 
the same God. Oh, you are the same God. You were a healer then. You are a healer now. You are the same God. Yes, you are the same God. You were a Savior then. You are a Savior now. You are the same God. Oh, you are the same God. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh, oh, rock, oh, rock of ages. I'm standing on your faithfulness. On your faithfulness. And on your faithfulness. Oh, God. I'm standing on your faithfulness. You heard your people then. You'll hear your people now. You are the same God. You are the same God. Mercy never failed me in darkest night. I've been held in your hand from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath and I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You were close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of anybody else living in that goodness today. Come on, let's praise him. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Your goodness is running after, running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. 
Your goodness is running after, running after me. Let's sing that again. Ready? Your goodness is running after, running after me. Your goodness is running after, running after me. When my life laid down, I surrender now and give you everything. Your goodness is running after, running after me. All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I will sing of the goodness, God, you're so good. You know this one, let's hear it, ready? God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. Let's go. Here we go. Ready? God, you're so good. You are, you are. God, you're so good. You are, you are. Yes, God, you're so good. You're so good to
Amen. Be seated if you would. Let's grab our Bibles. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter number two and continue this story time series. Last week we talked about being reliable from the beginning part of this. And listen, this is life applicable things, things that if each of us would apply from Nehemiah's story, it would change our lives. I mean, in every shape, form, and fashion, not just relationships not just the, the workability. I, I do believe it would change your careers. It would shape your homes. It would restructure the way you study as a student, restructure the way you teach and the way you pursue other people. It would build our relationships. Being reliable last week is a huge deal and it's very much lacking in our society. Now, I'm not gonna review. I'm gonna tell you, go back. It's all online. You can get it on our podcasts in different areas. I think there's four or five different ways through YouTube and Facebook and other things that you can see it. Today, we're gonna pick up in the same chapter, but we're gonna jump down to verse number 11. And we're gonna look at this on how do I execute God's plan for my life? And we have done this. We've spent a lot of time over the years in how to recognize the plan of God, how the phases of God's will, you know, the decision, the dream, the decision, the delay, the difficulty, the dead end, the, de- uh, the deliverance, the breakthrough. We've gone through those again and again and again. Today, we're gonna take a different approach from Nehemiah on what do you do to know his will, and then what do you do to move in his will? I think a lot of us know that God has placed something on our lives. Anybody else ever get that, that feeling in your heart or, or that, that call in your life to go further or to be more or to do more or to study more or, hey, there's something different, there's something greater that God has for your life out there? Anybody ever have that feeling, that nudge? All right, of the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you don't, then you might wanna reevaluate your walk with God because the walk you have with God will never allow complacency. It will never allow you to get to a point of achievement where you think you've arrived. It'll never allow you to be Sunday morning only and it'll never allow you to just, just go through the motions or coast. God is going to strengthen you and empower you and push you. Um, we say it all the time, I'm gonna say it again. The most misused verse of the Bible, one of the two, uh, the other one is where two or three together, the Holy Spirit's there. That's meant for division and meant for restoration in Matthew 18, but we use it as a church setting, but the Holy Spirit's with you everywhere you go. What the Bible's saying is if we have a disagreement, let's get together, Holy Spirit's gonna meet us there, all right? So you got that, that's one misuse. Here's another one. God will never put on us more than we can bear. And that's a total misused verse. The Bible says he will never allow us to be tempted more than we are able to bear, but with temptation, allow for a way of escape. So can I tell you this right now? Please write it in there. God is gonna overload you, overwhelm you, and he's gonna overcall you. I mean, he is going to take you to a place that requires total faith, and it makes you realize, I don't have the ability, but something says go. I don't have the resource, but something says go. I don't have the time, but something says surrender, right? God's gonna take you to an edge and then push you. You know why? Because he wants you to trust him. So how many of you have heard this statement? I wish I could remember who said it. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. I mean, God really wants to see you develop as a person more than he wants you to be comfortable in life. And so God's gonna do things and shape things. Nehemiah, as a cupbearer, could not stand what was going on in a place where he wasn't. He felt a passion and a pull, and he, he knew that God was doing something, God was working, and that the condition of his hometown was not the condition that God desired it to be in. How many of you would say this today, and don't raise your hand, I don't, I don't mean to embarrass you, this isn't a moment for you to confess to everybody, but how many of you have ever had the moment in your life where you thought the condition of my heart and mind is not the way it's supposed to be? 
The condition of my home is not the way that it's supposed to be. The condition of my relationship is not the way it's supposed to be. Maybe something has torn it down. Maybe something has broke that heart and God's saying, this isn't right, let's rebuild it. By the way, can I tell you something? And I want you to get this. We learn it from Nehemiah. The will of God does not get accomplished without the effort of his people. And so at some point of your life, it's one thing to say, I know my heart needs to be better. It's another thing to say, I'm willing to let God rebuild it. And by letting God rebuild it, what I'm saying is, I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing to put the effort in. You know, you say, well, I'm drowning in debt. There is freedom, but it doesn't come through a lottery. It doesn't come through just chance. It comes through a diligence of saying, I'm going to reprogram my brain, and then I'm going to work towards a goal, and I'm not going to let anything stop me. If you got it, say got it. Your your communication with your spouse isn't going to get better because you want it to. It's going to get better because you become a better communicator. Your your relationship with God is not going to get better just because you want it to. It's going to get better as you grind into digging into God's word, standing on his truth. Remember what Nehemiah said, return, obey, live by, right? So today we're going to go into what Nehemiah did to know the will of God and then to execute it. Write this down. We find it in chapter number one. I'm not going to go back and review too much, but the very first thing Nehemiah did when his heart broke was he prayed. All right, I'm gonna tell you this right now. When a major decision comes in your life, when a major life change happens, there needs to be deep-rooted prayer. It doesn't need to be something that you just make on a whim. It doesn't need to be a decision that you make on a feeling. I'm gonna tell you right now, the Bible says it clearly. There's a way that seems right to us, a way that seems right to men, but the end of it's destructive. You know what it means is it feels right in the moment. It feels like the thing to do. It feels like this is what's supposed to happen. But just because it feels right, seems right, and you think it's right, doesn't make it right. And absent God, you could make a good decision that ends up destroying your life. All right? How many of you have ever done that? You didn't go out into sin. You made a decision. You volunteered. You jumped in. You gave. You spent. You bought. And then later realized, wow, wait a minute. That wasn't for me at all. All right, and so understand this, it's gotta be bathed in prayer. But Nehemiah does something that I think is very key. It's uh, part of my prayer life, and, and I've shared it before. Matter of fact, you saw Gideon do it when God called him to be a mighty warrior. Actually, God told him he was a mighty warrior and then called him to the battlefield. Nehemiah and Gideon did one of the same things. Gideon laid out a fleece, and he laid this on the ground, and then he prayed two different prayers. One was make the ground wet and the fleece dry. The other was make the fleece wet and the ground dry so that he knew that God was answering that prayer. Nehemiah's version of that said, let the king look favorably on me. That's a fleece. By the way, can you write this down? I believe you need to pray specifically when making major decisions in your life. And not specifically in ways that you can control, but specifically in things that only God can do. So let me give you an example. You say, well, you know, I, I, I feel like God's calling us, and let's just throw one out there, to Hawaii, which right now is a mission field in Maui. It's burnt down, devastation, over 80 plus people died. Our, our prayer should be there. So let, let's say it's not in a desperate season like it's in, but you, you're kind of feeling beachy, right? Like you're kind of feeling like I want some 72 degree temperatures and clear waters. Anybody in the room feeling that way this morning? That'd be nice. All right, but we're back in school and yuck. All right, but anyway, all right, so we, we, we start thinking and having this feeling that I would love to live on the beach, all right? And I'm not saying that you're feeling, but all of a sudden you start praying and you say, God, if you want me to live on the beach, let my wife tell me she loves me as soon as she walks in the door. 
Now, is that a fleece-type prayer? No, because what's going to happen is she's going to open the door, and you're going to be like, baby, I love you. And what's she going to say back? I love you, too, and you're going to answer my prayer. You know what? Can I tell you, a fleece-type prayer you can't manipulate. A fleece-type prayer somebody else can't do something with. A fleece-type prayer is only something God can do God's size and God's way in God's timing. And Nehemiah prayed, and he said, God, let the king show favorably. I don't like what's happening in my city. I feel the pull to go here, but I need the king to be on my team. And in order for that to happen, a pagan king, a captain king, a conquering king who has Nehemiah serving as a slave has to have a heart change. And in order for that heart to change, God has to move. I'm gonna tell you this right now. We can influence people's behaviors only for a little bit of time, but God can radically change somebody's heart and change their lives for all time. And I'm telling you right now, we should stop being in the business of trying to manipulate how somebody behaves, and we should start getting in the business of believing that God can change anyone. And Nehemiah prayed a prayer that only God could do. So let's look at this in your life. You feel like God's asking you to sell your house. Well, God, if I'm supposed to sell my house, then let it appraise for an amount that will do this. And let it be a, a quick sell in the first two weeks. Or let it be the, you're like, Those, that, there's no way that could happen. You know what? That's a God-sized prayer. And when that prayer doesn't get answered in your timing or that prayer doesn't get answered in the exact way you prayed it, you are trusting that God is a communicator and that God will let you know when it's time to go, when it's time to grow, and absent his answer, you don't move. Are you with me? Now, would that change the way we make decisions a lot of time? Yes. But do we pray like that often? No, I, I said this a couple weeks ago. Sometimes I'm praying as I've already made the decision. Like, you know, God, should I get this coat, and I'm throwing something out, as I'm standing in the checkout line? You know, as my credit card or my debit card is in my hand and I'm handing it, God, stop me if I'm not supposed to do this. You know what God gave you to stop? The Holy Spirit and self-control. And if, I, I don't, sometimes, can I tell you this? Sometimes we're asking God to stop us when we know we should be stopped. Matter of fact, if you're asking God to stop you, you should reevaluate what you're doing. You know, because why would you ask God to stop what is good? You should simply say, and I pray this way oftentimes, God, I feel this is the way you're calling me. I'm gonna go this direction, but I'm trusting you will slam a door if it's not the direction I'm supposed to go, and that you will keep in my mind that I am not to kick down closed doors, but I'm only supposed to move in the directions that you guide me. And isn't that what the Bible says in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And then the next three verses are all about him leading and guiding and protecting. And so here's the thing, matter of fact, living in my own understanding is taking me out of God's protection in my life. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. But the very next verse starts talking about, hey, stay away from evil things. I'll be honest with you, if you're playing fleece-type prayers, you can't be playing with sin. You have got to have a total surrender and a total look at what God's will is for your life. By the way, can I tell you this right now? If any known sin is allowed to continue in your life while you're praying, your prayers will be tainted because your heart is divided. 
We find that in, um, actually, we'll go here in just a little bit. James chapter number four, in verse seven, eight, nine, it talks about, hey, your loyalty cannot be divided. You have got to stay focused on who God is. You, you, you need to pray about it, but you need to pray specifically, and you need to, number three, and this is what Nehemiah did, you need to respond when God answers the prayer. Um, Nehemiah is standing in front of the king and the king gives the window. He says, you don't look like yourself. You've never appeared like this before me before. You don't seem sick. You must be deeply troubled. In that moment, the fleece is answered. You know what that is? When the fleece is answered, it's time to go. It's not time to question. It's not time to look at it again. It's time to make a move. God, give me a chance to have a deep conversation with my spouse, absent the distraction of children tonight, absent these things so that we can pour out our hearts and we can connect in an intimate level. And then all of a sudden, miraculously, your kids are coming to you saying they wanna go to bed and they're tired at 8.30 and they're tucked in at nine o'clock and you've been praying for that moment. You know what that moment is? Time to talk, not time to get an extra couple hours of sleep. It's the time you prayed for now to go. I think all the time in my life, I see moment after moment where I'm asking God to do something in my life, and then when the opportunity's there, my fear gets in the way, my insecurity comes screaming out, and I will hesitate on what I've been praying for. Anybody else like that in the room today? Hey, if you're gonna execute God's plan for your life in prayer, specific prayer, and respond when God answers. Move when he says to move. Do what he says to do. God will give you the desires of your heart if what? You delight yourself in him. So I'm, I'm delighting, I'm committing, he's giving my desires, and he's leading my steps. All right, so let's keep going. This is where we're gonna pick up in our text is number four. Now, I'm already four points into my sermon. Are y'all really shocked right now? All right, hopefully you got those three. We'll review them in a little. Pray. Pray with fleeces, specific prayers, and move when God answers prayer. Number four, write this down. He kept his plan. The plan that God had for his life, he kept it quiet. Now, I almost skipped this, but I feel like in our society, we need to step back. And I want you to look at this in verse number 11. So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about God's, uh, the, the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. Skip down to verse number 16. We'll come back to 13, 14, 15. It says, the city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. I believe God has this in his word for a reason. In a world where we tweet and Instagram reel and we, we Facebook post everything in our lives, we need to understand that the enemy is dumb unless we educate him. The enemy is clueless unless you put it out. You know, if we were talking and, and, and we go back to Genesis and we've done this here before, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it. When Satan showed up to Eve, the very first question was, did God, not tell, did God tell you not to eat of any of the trees of this garden? That's an exploratory question. That's a, give me your secret. Give me what you know that I don't know. Did God tell you not to eat of any of these trees? And Eve said, no, he told us not to eat of that one. And the very next verse is where? That one. We, we actually coined a phrase here that we use a lot, and I say this a lot to people in one-on-one -on -one counseling. Don't show Satan your tree of weakness because he will take you there. You know what that means? The power of life and death is where? 
in your tongue. All right, I'm, I'm gonna say this very nicely. I'm gonna say it as clearly as I can. Sometimes it's good to be quiet when it comes to the things that you're going through in life. Sometimes it's good to keep this closed because if I'm the one uttering today that I, you know, if one more person is mean to me, I'm gonna lose it, what's gonna happen? That somebody's gonna be mean, something's coming. Like if I get one more phone call, you know, if the kids scream one more time, expect 50. I, I expect it to roll in. Why? You're equipping the enemy. The Bible says in Colossians, and I want you to get this, that when Jesus died on the cross, he stripped the enemy of every bit of his power. He publicly shamed him, humiliated him, and he canceled the record of wrongs held against you and me. I, I have a shirt that I haven't worn in a while because of my insecurity and fear of judgment that I'm, I'm thinking about breaking back out, but I gotta lose 10 pounds to get there. But the thing is, is it says, my past, and I have it really in bold letters, is his story. It's history. It's not mine. And I, on that, I have that Colossians verse where it says, he canceled the record of wrong against us. Here's, I want you to understand this. You do not serve a failure of a God, a powerless God, while fighting a powerful enemy. You serve a very powerful God while fighting a defeated enemy. And in our minds, if it would shift and we would realize that the attack that Satan has against you in life has already been won by God, we would go into our battles a little bit different. We would look at our circumstances with a little bit more confidence. We would realize that if God is for us, who can be against us? With men, this may seem impossible. With the God, all things are possible. We said it earlier, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If we had these things, if we had the angel looking at Mary and saying, this doesn't make sense, but with God, all things are possible. This may not make sense to everybody around you. Your parents might not believe it. Joseph may wanna leave you, but God has touched you, and God, when he touches, stays with. And he's gonna see you through this. You know, what would happen in your life and in my life if when we went into something, we kept it sometimes, you know, the Bible says that the spirit prays in grunts and moanings sometimes. You know, the Bible talks about praying in a, a spiritual tongue that the devil cannot understand. You say, well, why are those things important? Because I feel like too much, we're letting the Satan know our problems and then it's getting out there and he knows exactly where to come into your home. Can I, get, can I go a little further? Can I meddle? Husbands and wives, stop sharing your fights on social media. I mean, stop posting everything wrong your kids are doing. Stop showing the tree. All right, how many of you understand that point? Because I promise you, Satan, Satan's gonna target two areas of your life, and there's more, but let me point out two. He's gonna target the calling, and he's gonna target the weakness. And when God, he sees a calling on your life, he's coming. When he sees a weakness in your life, he's coming. Stop telling him where the weak tree is because he's gonna pull you there very, very quickly. But that's not all. I want you to understand in Nehemiah's thing, it's not about the weakness, it's about the plan. In Nehemiah, before he knew what he was gonna do, he knew the calling, but he didn't know the method. And before he knew the method, he kept his mouth shut. You know, I have people come to me and they ask me, what's y'all's plans with this, 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 and this? And sometimes I'm like, hey, we're still praying about it. You know why? Because I'm not gonna put it out there. Because there's a sand ballot and there's a Tobiah and there's somebody else out there that's gonna mock it and tear it down. There's somebody that's gonna come out of it. And I'm gonna tell you this now, that Satan can't show up to tear down what he doesn't know about. 
Do you know that God's moving in your life? How many of you believe God has a plan and a purpose for you today? Would you slip a hand up? And if not, if you don't believe that, would you raise a hand and say, God, restore my vision, restore my hopes, restore my dreams, because the world has broken my sight of you. Restore it. Get my eyes back on you, because I promise you this. God did not create you without a plan, purpose, and something magnificent that he wanted to do. So understand this. I, I, I see that uh, we, we have a society that puts everything out there for everybody. Um, during a difficult season of my life, Pastor Chris gave me advice. He said, stop telling everybody everything and get one or two people that you trust. I have given that again and again and again to our Monday night class and overcoming grief, to other people in counsel. Stop trusting everybody with your story because not everybody can handle what God is doing in your life. People that are not willing to let God work in their lives will not be happy with the work he's doing in yours. And people that have things they're not willing to let go of will point out the flaws in you to keep eyes off of themselves. You gotta stop putting out there all your drama and get on your knees and take it to God. You gotta stop putting out there all, all the things that God, you know, when I grow up, I wanna be. You know what, I, I think sometimes we ask our kids that question, they answer it and immediately we become the voice of Satan in their lives. Remember Peter looking at Jesus and saying, this will never happen to you. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna go to the cross. Peter says, I will not let it happen. And what was Jesus' reply? Anybody remember? Get behind me who? Because was it Peter that was talking in that moment? No, it was the enemy influencing Peter. Did that make Peter demon-possessed? No, but can the enemy get in your ear? Yeah, can the enemy get in your head? Yeah, Absolutely. The enemy can mess you up just by whispering in you and, and just kind of planting the seed. And what he wants you to do is really pick it up to where it's your own voice telling you at some point, and then it becomes your belief system, and then he's got you. All right, so understand this. He, he, he looks at Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan. You know why? Because he spoke the plan God had for his life, and immediately somebody who meant good shot it down. We have a little boy in our church. He's not little. He's in our youth group, but his dream is to be in the NFL. I mean, that's his dream. You ask him, what do you want to be when you grow up? The NFL. And I hear it happen so many times. Well, if that's going to happen, you better grow. If that's going to happen, you better get quick. If that's going to happen, you better do this. And, and I look at him and say, it's gonna, it, it can happen if you never stop dreaming and it's God's will for your life. It's not about what I see in you. You say, well, that shouldn't be his desire. Why not? Why not? Well, he should want to serve the Lord. I'm telling you right now, I am sick and tired of our actors and entertainers having the voices that hit the media and the news that everybody's listening to. It's time to put some people that are believers in those positions so that from their stages and from their platforms, they can glorify God. Last night, I was watching the Baltimore Ravens little game, um, it just because, you know, I'm, I love sports. And, and so in the middle of it, they go to Lamar Jackson, who's not playing in the game. It's all the people trying to make the team. That's why I enjoy preseason, because people play with passion. And they go to him and they say, what about that big deal you just landed and all these things? What do you think about that? And you know what his reply was? That was all God. And I thought, okay, let's go. You know, here's the thing, like, it could be all me and all my talent and I've worked very hard and given my whole life or it can be a thankfulness that God gave you the ability and did give you a little bit of a boost in an area that other people don't have to give you the ability to get a contract that you and I don't get to sign today. And if you get the moment and you get the spotlight and God's given you an opportunity of success in your life, then when the microphone's held out and you say, what do you think your response should be? My God is good. Let me show you it's the glory of God. So understand this, and I want you to get this and grab it in your mind. We have got too many people telling too many people everything about their lives. Stop it. Stop it. 
Find one or two that love God more than they'll ever love you. And, and bring them in, recruit them. You know what, it is not bad to interview your friends. Is that, is that sound bad though? All right. Uh, you know, if, if you were the teenagers, I'd say interview a date on the first date. You know, maybe if you can right now, interview them before the first date. But while you're on that first date, there should be a question that comes up like this. Do you know Jesus? Well, I don't want to scare them off. You definitely want the devil running if that's who he is, all right? I mean, you definitely want him going. So, yeah, do you know Jesus? Do you, what's, what's your plan for your life? Like, yeah, hey, what, what, do you, what do you think you want to be when you grow up? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, we, we were joking around talking with our men's conference group as we're getting ready. I'm so excited about this thing. I can't wait. I think God's going to really, and, and I'll tell you this, God moves everywhere, not just at our men's conference. He moves in a lot of conferences. But my prayer is, is that he intimately moves in us, right, like in a, in a unique way. So I'm expecting that, and I'm expecting to have a good time. But uh, I, I, we were talking, and I, I heard a preacher. I can't remember who it was that said it, but he said, you know, Adam was in Eden, which means spot of God. He had the word of God because he walked with God, the promises of God because he had received it the job that God had, and he lived in the presence of God. And when God looked at a man that had a job, living in the word of God, knowing the promise of God, and walking in the presence of God, God said that man shouldn't be alone. So ergo, if a man doesn't have a job, doesn't walk in the presence of God, doesn't read the word of God, doesn't know the word of God, leave him alone. And I was like, that is good. You say, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't wanna offend anybody, I'm gonna tell you this right now. You have no right to be mean, rude, hateful, arrogant, no right to be sarcastic, critical, or anything. That's not what we're saying. But you do have a right to ask questions. You do have a right to say, hey, you know what, tell me a little bit of your story. Tell me, tell me a little bit of what's going on. You know, like, um, you know, we had uh, one of our teenagers come to us and he, he said, you know, and right now he is away in the military and basic and, and um, Right, he went to uh, something in downtown Dandridge, the Jubilee, June Jubilee. And he was walking around and a guy came up to him and started really using the word of God to speak to him, right? And, and, and it was really cool, he was excited. He said, but something's not right. He called me, something's not right. This guy looks at numbers and if he sees numbers on a license plate, he'll pull up that number in his Bible or, and God will give him a word. Now I'm not saying that's impossible, but here's what the guy said to him. The guy started going against the plan that this kid had for his life. And I had a month or two before, out of my own fear, right, out of my own desires for him, how many of you realize that for my children I have my own desires? But they may not match God's. That's a hard thing for me to grab. I have a desire to, anybody else have this? I wanna own 10 acres and each of my children get an acre and they all build a house and we all live in a community and I get to beat down their husband or wife and they, no, I'm just kidding, not their wife, I would never do that, I'd let mama go ninja. But the thing is, it's like, hey, uh, you know, it's like I want to, and if I'm not careful, Lord. Not, not that I want to rule, just I wanna protect and I wanna provide and I wanna make sure they're okay. Anybody with me on that? Yeah, but what if God calls my little girl to Africa? And that's his will. And if you don't think I'm not already thinking about that, I've been thinking about that since I held her in my arms for the very first time, and that freaks me out. And so I, I, I'm gonna use his name, is that okay? Mom's here, give me permission, is that good? All right, so Robbie, I met him right back here. I said, Robbie, I want you to tell me something. I'm only gonna ask you once. Has God called you to go into the military? Is that God's will for your life, and do you know it? Because in my heart, I don't want you to go. I didn't tell him that because I'm not influencing this. And he said, I know it without a doubt. Okay, buddy, go. I got in my car that night and I drove home in tears. 
You know, because I have this vision of what I see this kid doing with his life. This kid has stood on this stage and given illustrations better than I can. You know, and I'm not just bragging on him. We have tons of teenagers that can do this. But this kid can speak as a mouthpiece for God. And I, mean, I see a next pastor. I see a next preacher. I see this. But you're, you're taking him to the military. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. And all of a sudden, this other guy comes in and says, you're not supposed to go. And so Robbie calls me and he said, what do I do? I said, what did God tell you? What has God told you? I stood back there and I asked you, did God tell you to go? You said without a doubt you knew you were supposed to go. And he said, well, I don't know this guy. How do I know if, if this guy's a real prophet? Because he's telling me he's a prophet. And by the way, if you don't know what that means, a prophecy is something that's about your future. It's not about something that happened. If somebody gets on and says, and I've heard a preacher do this, that is known as a prophet in the Church of God community, and he said, I knew September 11th was gonna happen. God gave me a vision. And I immediately wanted to dial him and say, then why didn't you tell somebody? You let over 2,000 people die knowing? That's, that's like knowing the cure for cancer and keeping it to yourself. You should be locked up. That's judgment. You don't have a right to do that. Am I right? It's almost like knowing that Jesus died for the sins of the entire world and not caring where somebody's going to eternity too, just saying. Not caring about the people you work with. Let's leave that story. Y'all weren't as excited about that one, so we'll, we'll let that simmer, all right? But the thing is, is I looked at him and I said, tell me a little bit about this guy. Where does he go to church? He doesn't go anywhere. Why doesn't he go anywhere? Because God told him not to. False prophet. I said, he said, why? Because the Bible never contradicts itself and God will never contradict himself when he tells anybody anything. And the Bible says, don't forsake the assemblings of yourselves together. The Bible says, iron sharpens iron like a friend sharpens a friend. The Bible says, let's come together and reason. Jesus died for a church, established a church and built a church. Why would he die for something he didn't want you to attend? You say, well, we are the church. You're not a church alone. You're a, you're a temple, but what good's a temple if it doesn't have other people? Does that make sense? You're not called to be a lone ranger. You're not called to sit on your couch. You're not called to, and, and so right there, that's it. That's all I need. I don't know the guy. I don't need to know the guy. I don't want to know his name. I don't want to know where he's from, but I'm telling you right now, if a prophet contradicts the word of God, they are not God's prophet. You say, what was the rest of the conversation? There was none, because I need you to know this. If God's going to speak, he's going to line up with his word. And if it doesn't line up with his word, it's not from God. And we need to get back to the basics to where we realize that God has a plan for your and my life and he is good enough and gracious enough that God is not gonna give you my plan. He's gonna give it to me, maybe confirm it through you, but I don't need you to know what God has called me to because if I do, what happens when you're gone? What happens when you change your mind about who I am? The truth is, is what God has called. Paul even wrote it this way. The callings and the giftings of God are without repentance. God does not change his mind today and sometimes you throw it out there and all of a sudden somebody steps in and says here's my will it's very easy to do that by the way you know people come up to me all the time and they say well I'm just waiting on somebody to ask me to do something in the church ready I'm going to tell you this it is not personally going to happen I am never going to come to you and say, would you do this unless you've first shown a sign that God is moving through the Holy Spirit in you you say, why? Because in good intention and out of need and necessity in the church, we can ruin your life. And I don't want good intentions to keep you from the great plan that God has for you. I don't want it to happen. So guess what? Sometimes in my life, there's things brewing here that don't come out here. There's messages. My wife does not know what I'm preaching today. So do not ask me what I'm preaching. 
I will not tell you. And you say, well, why not? Because your ears are not the only one hearing. There's an enemy out there that will work against the sermon before the sermon happens if I let it out. Matter of fact, my final rewrite is moments before I take a stage. I've heard people say they have their process and they're done by Thursday, but I'm telling you now, a lot can change from Thursday to Sunday. Isn't that what happened when Jesus died on the cross? A lot changed by the Sunday morning when he got out of the tomb. I'm gonna tell you right now, I do not wanna equip the enemy so that he's ready to distract you, ready to keep you in bed, ready to make your house blow up, ready for something to go bad so you miss the message that God has for your heart. There's things that I'm studying that no one knows and you say, that's arrogant. No, I want God to be the only one that knows so that when it hits, the enemy in your life is taken by surprise as the king of kings invades the mind, invades the heart, and reclaims the territory that Satan stole from you this week. We want those truths to be centered in him. So that's a question my wife never asked. She used to when we first got married, why won't you tell me? She never asked me today, what are you talking about? Because she knows I will not say it's not gonna happen. You know why? Because if too many people get their opinion in the plan, the plan may change or never happen at all. If you say, I'm gonna go build a tower to 1,000 people, you'll get 999 different ways to build it. That way, you know, you know if, if you're gonna build a tower, you need to have a conversation with an architect and an engineer. Leave everybody else out of it until they give you a plan. I have learned this. If we come and we vote on what color to paint the walls, we will cause division in the church. <laughs> True? I've told this story a hundred times, Glenda, I know you've heard it. When my dad was in evangelism, we went to a church. We walked into the church, and right down the center aisle of the church was a seam in the carpet. On one side of the aisle was dark blue carpet, on the other side, light blue. But down the center aisle of the church, they met it was the weirdest thing, and I remember my dad asking one of the deacons, why do you have two colors of carpet in your church? He said, well, when it came time to pick the carpet, we were divided. Half the church wanted dark blue, half the church wanted light blue, and we couldn't come together on reasoning, so we just split it in the middle, and the ones that want light blue sit on this side, and the ones that want dark blue sit on that one. True story. <laughs> and I was like, God, how messed up are we? Have we forgot the verse that a house divided will not stand? I'm telling you this right now. I think so many times we come out here and we start speaking, and we forget the enemy's listening. And so I, I want you to get verses number two, 12 and verse number 16. I want you to think about that. You're gonna go through difficult times and you need prayer. There's nothing wrong with saying, will you please pray for my family and leaving the details out. There's nothing wrong with picking up the phone and telling a couple but not telling everybody. There's nothing wrong. Can I give you this, matter of fact? I'm gonna give you a freebie. Go to, um, can you do this for me, Casey? Psalm 41, verse number four. Psalm 41, verse number four. Give me a second, I'm gonna get there too. Psalm 41, verse number four. Yes. You ready? This is David. Oh Lord, I prayed, have mercy on me and heal me. He's really sick. Look at this, for I have what? Like David's not going through a good time of life. He's physically sick and he realizes, hey, this is a consequence. I've sinned. I'm far from you. I want you to get this. This doesn't just represent a physical attack in David's life. This represents a time that David knows he has failed. 
And he's praying and he's asking God for mercy. Look at verse number five. But my enemies say nothing but evil about me. How soon will he die and be forgotten, they ask. Here's verse number six. Please pay attention. They visit me as if they were my friends, but all the while they gather gossip. And when they leave, they spread it everywhere. Next verse. Verse number seven says, all who hate me whisper about me. Imagining the worst. Verse number eight, he has some fatal disease. They say he will never get out of bed. Verse number nine, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has what? All right, can I tell you this right now? Your trust needs to be in the Lord. And that's very hard because sometimes talking to God takes a little bit of time to get an answer back. Sometimes talking to God means you're alone in a situation physically but spiritually surrounded by his forces. Sometimes the plan seems isolating and like you're on an island. Sometimes it seems like it's a long time coming. One of the things we do often with our praise team is we'll, we'll open up for people to get on. And then if you notice, there's people that stand in the background. And they don't get the microphones and they don't have the solos and they don't do the things. And, 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 and there's a reason why. You know, where, you know where the war started in heaven? The music ministry. Satan was a song leader. And in there, he didn't like to be the one singing about the man. He wanted to be the man. The angel of light illuminating the throne. You know, one of the, know one of the quickest ways to kill a church is the music ministry. You know why? Because it's very easy, if you're not careful, to get a spotlight mentality where you feel like it should be all about you. You know, have you ever heard these words? Anybody ever grown up in an old school church where they sang my song? In other words, I sang the solo to that once. I have the rights to it. Nobody else in the church gets to sing it but me. It's been there. So what we do is we do an extended amount of time before we ever give them a spotlight or a solo. And can I tell you this? Not everybody makes it. Sometimes they fall out and, they, and they'll come and they'll be like, I've been here this much or this much and I still haven't had a chance. And we say, that's why we're doing this. And so I want you to consider that right now you've got a talent, you've got an ability, but we need to make sure that that talent and ability is about him, not about me. Because if it's about me, then this will destroy you. Can I tell you this? A spotlight doesn't illuminate your goodness as much as it reveals your flaws. Am I right? The brighter the light. How many of you ladies have a mirror that has bright lights around it? Raise your hand, let's see. I would ask the men, but I'm not gonna do that to them, all right? You got a mirror that has a light or a magnified mirror. How many of you have that? I know it exists, I've seen them, I've used one, all right? You get in there and you're like, is that my nose? And you're like, you got all the, you get closer, it lights it up. The brighter the mirror, the light, the more flaws you see. If we take it to dim light, matter of fact, I'll tell you this right now. Why, please stay with me. Why do you just think the bars keep it dark? <laughs> it's true. Number one, you don't see the filth. And number two, people seem attractive. I'm not lying. It's strategy. If they brought the lights up, you would not buy as much alcohol. It is a proven thing because you would look around and see where you are and who you're with and you would get out. But if they dim the lights, you'll buy more. And then you start buying more. And then you start what? Buying more. 
Because you, you get intoxicated and now you're starting to buy to impress and now you're starting to be fit in and the next thing you know, you got this huge tab. And they did not care. You know what they used? They used dim lights. All right, you following this? Stay with me. Fancy restaurants will do what? Dim the lights. It makes things more attractive. The moment the lights come up, you notice the stains. By the way, can I tell you this? I've worked in a restaurant that was nice before. You know what they do after closing? They bring the lights up. You know why they bring the lights up? To clean. All right, now, let me, let me tell you this. There is such a spiritual truth in this that I want you to grab. Satan loves to work in the shadows. He hates the light. He loves to do these things. And so what do we do? And, and so you know what he does? He will let you become successful because he knows the moment the spotlight hits you, he can reveal everything bad about you. So the Bible says, don't aspire. Be careful to want to be the preacher because you're held to a higher accountability. How many of you understand that verse now a little bit better? All right, and so what you're saying, God, give me, you might wanna stop back and say, God, only call me where you want me because I wanna be, but you don't need to let everybody know your hopes and dreams. They will attack them, tear them down and do those things, get you two or three solid believers that love God more than you and walk with them. That's what he did. David said, even my best friend can turn on me. I want you to write this down, I want you to get it. A person can change their mind at any time, no matter who they are, no matter how close you are, and no matter how much you believe in them, and here, here, get this one, no matter how much you've done for them. Matter of fact, there's a statement in ministry you need to know that the people you help the most will oftentimes be the people who hurt you the most. You know why? Because you have to help hurting people, okay? It's not because they're bad. It's just hurting people do what? Hurt people. All right, y'all got it? All right, is this too deep? Do you understand this concept here? Now, normally I don't ask these kind of questions till the camera's off, but I feel like sometimes we need to get very practical. Executing the plan of God sometimes means keeping your mouth shut about what God's doing. You can let them know too much. And if you're not careful, they will use that against you. How many of you have ever heard that lie as a kid? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you have found that sticks and stones hurt a whole lot less than the words of people? Yeah. The truth is this. Satan doesn't know, don't show. Don't show them your tree of weakness. Don't reveal God's plan until you're ready to move. So here it is. That brings us to the next point. And, and, and I want you to really get this one. Let's go back to verse number 13. After he muzzled everything he had, he went to look. Matter of fact, I wrote it this way. He examined and studied the call. If you're gonna go on a mission, you need to know the mission before you get on it. You need to know what you're up against. You need to study. You need to examine. Matter of fact, I'm gonna tell you this right now. Do you believe in demons today? Uh, say yes or no. Yes, okay. If you have no idea how to pray over someone demon-possessed or how to be a part of praying that God remove a demon from somebody's life, do not take part in it. Let me give you a why. That demon has to go somewhere. And it will leech on to whatever is unknowledgeable or unaware or too open-minded or it will go somewhere. And if you're absent Jesus, you don't have him as savior, you should never be a part of that. If you're living in sin, you should not be a part of that. At some point, you should realize that if you don't know what you're doing, don't do it. But go get help of somebody who can. I cannot do heart surgery, so I would not operate on my own heart. Does that make sense? 
Yes. I do, listen, if you don't know how to work out the issues in your marriage, please do not give marriage counseling to somebody else. Because that demon that's attacking them will attack you. What's going after them will come after you. Jesus kicks it out of the man in the, to, uh, in the tombs, uh, in the uh, graveyard, and where does it go? To the pigs. And what do the pigs do? Run off a cliff. All right, now understand this. It's going to go somewhere. So don't take part of something. You, you say, well, I'm a, you know, I, I've been called and God's asked me to do something. I, I, can I give you a good one? Don't preach a sermon you haven't studied for. Don't preach a message you haven't prepared for. Satan will eat you alive in the moment if your heart's not in it. Does that make sense? You don't see it, but while I preach, there is a war that goes on in my mind. There is a constant battle of focus. There's a constant battle of staying on God's point. There's a moment my flesh will pop up, and I want to really tell you what I think instead of staying humble and staying committed to what God has to say. Are you with me? There's times I really want to call people out from the stage. You say, well, you should never. Exactly, that's why I'm telling you this, right? Yeah, there's times that I want to be like, hey, don't go to the bathroom right now. I'm talking about you. <laughs> now, everybody that has to pee is now free, froze the rest of the thing. I'll get to the end very quickly. There's times you want, but can you do that? No. And if I'm not prepared for what God has to give to you today, then Satan can get in the sermon very quickly because this is a human. This is the word of God. You better not misunderstand who has the authority. It's either his word or my word. My word will mess you up. His word will set you up. You understand that? God did not intend for you to go to church today and leave here feeling like you've been to the woodshed. God wants to take you to the place of discipline and meet you with love there so that when you leave there, you realize that, hey, he still loves me. Tina, why is it every time I talk about going to the bathroom or something, it is you. <laughs> Let's get a spotlight. Where's my flashlight? How many of you were here that sermon when we did spotlights and I spotlighted Tina all the way down? Always, sorry. All right, I had to. I forgot I'm on camera. I am so sorry. All right. Here's the thing. Listen to me. Understand it. There's going to be a war no matter what you're called to. And if you're not prepared, like I'm telling you right now, the time to discipline your child is not when you got upset about what they did. The time to discipline your child is, yes, in a speedy time where they still remember, especially due to age. But sometimes you better step back, get your partner, talk it over, and go at it together. Because if you're not careful, you can say something in a moment that would change the child's total trajectory in life. How many of you can get very mad very fast? Yeah, come on now, only these two. How many of you can get very mad very fast? How many of you can say something without thinking? Yeah, it's destructive. And I think sometimes we'll be in the middle of it, you know, and I'll be like, Canaan, I'm on the phone. Next thing I know, my little girl's crying. And I'm like... Was she doing anything wrong wanting to talk to dad? And does a four-year-old understand fully that when somebody's on the phone, there's an inside voice? Do they really even know their inside voice or are they still learning the difference? And all of a sudden, what did I tell her? This is more important than you and I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you're saying. I don't care what you're thinking and I don't care how you feel. What matters is me in this moment and you don't matter at all. And she's crying in the back because dad broke her heart because dad elevated his voice. And you say, well, we can't, we're raising, we're raising tender children. I, I think, so. can I say something? I believe we need a little more tenderheartedness in the church. And I'm not saying we raise them to be weak, but I am saying this, we raise them to be 
precious. And I'm telling you right now, any package I get with glass in it says fragile, do not lay down, do not set something on top, do not do this. And I'm telling you, we are crushing our younger generation right now with our unrealistic expectations and our abusive language towards them when they make mistakes because we have forgotten what it's like to be little and we have forgotten what it's like to need to know because we don't already know. Does that make sense? So I'm telling you, when we get into this, and Nehemiah, when he went there, he was prepared. So give me a few minutes and we'll be done. Ready? Look at this. After dark, I went through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, over to the dung gate to inspect the broken wall and burn gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley. I almost did a whole sermon right there on that sentence. I want you to do it. You want a cool Bible study. I'm going to give it to you real quick. Ready? Go study the meaning and significance of those gates. Fountain gate, this gate, that gate. Go study the significance. They all meant something. You know what the Kidron Valley was? A place of darkness, shadows, and a place of total, total sorrow. Matter of fact, the Kidron Valley is where they buried their idols once they were uh, found out and caught for worshiping other gods. It's where Jehoshaphat lost the kingdom and was conquered. It's where David fled when he was being chased by Absalom. It's where Jesus went through to get to the Garden of Gethsemane and then was brought back out through when they arrested him and falsely accused him as they went to the priest's house. The Kidron Valley was kind of what you would find in Psalms, the shadow of the valley of death. And I love how this, and I wanna give you this word, as he's going and he's doing this and, and, and he's doing and accomplishing the will of God, he said, and even though it was dark, I had to go through here. I, I wrote a statement. I'm going to give it to you. Don't be surprised when the will of God takes you to broken places. Don't be surprised when the will of God takes you into areas you don't want to be. And don't be surprised that if it makes you have to go through a path of learning and understanding that you don't want to go through to get back to a place where you can actually fix the problem, don't be shocked when a Kidron Valley shows up right in the middle of God's will. At some point of your life, you might have to go through darkness to find the light. And I'm not saying we're going through Satan's darkness, but I'm telling you this now. The church wasn't called to 68-degree air conditionings and cushioned seats. The church was called to drunks, to, to, to people who are prostitutes and people who are drug addicts, the people who are going through divorces, the people in adultery. The church was called to the broken and the lost and the dying. The church was called to the homeless. The church wasn't called to only stay in the walls of the city. Sometimes the Kidron Valley is the way you need to go to be able to bring people back to a place of conquering. So don't be surprised right now if you're saying, I'm doing everything that God has told me to do. I'm, I'm following him. I'm seeking him. I'm, I'm, I'm in my personal walk. I'm doing this stuff. But why am I here? You might be in the Kidron Valley, but it's bringing you in a circle to where God wants you to be. How many of you got it? Say got it. That's a cool sentence. I've got about three, four, five points on it, but I'm going to give it to you in a two-minute nutshell to give you this point. When Nehemiah went and saw what was needed to be done, the sixth thing he did in verse number 17 is he cast the vision. But now I said to them, you know very well that the trouble we're in, Jerusalem lies in ruins, the gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, King James, it says, where there is no vision, people perish. You know what that verse is actually talking about and dealing with? Children. It's talking about your families. It's talking about looking at what God wants to do in their lives. Without that vision, people perish. 
I'm telling you right now, I believe the church has lost vision of certain things. We've lost vision of what it costs Jesus for our salvation. We've lost vision of what the power of the empty tomb can do. And we've lost vision of heaven where God wants us to go. And we've lost vision of hell where people are going by the hundreds of thousands while we speak. We need vision back in our homes and we need vision back in our callings. God hasn't called you to this for you to say, it's hard, I'm leaving. God has called you to this say, the reason I'm here is because of how hard it is. The reason we're doing this is because of what we believe God can do. Our church could be well more established financially without the missions we get involved in. We could have better pay for our, our staff and we could be in better situations, driving in better parking lots and doing all these things. But God's calling to uh, our culture of our church is to help hurting people. And in that, sometimes that is expensive. How many of you would say, you know, uh, your recovery was an expensive endeavor? Anybody say yes to that? Yeah. Not just with your, your money, but what about your time and your effort and your energy? Hey, I'm telling you right now, you have to share the vision, but don't you share the vision until you've prepared it. And you can't prepare it until you've examined it. You can't examine it until you know it. So while God's doing this in your heart, keep your mouth shut, study and prepare, because the moment's gonna happen that you stand in front of people, and I like that statement. Let's end this Disgrace. The last thing he did before he executed the plan is he rebuked the enemy. I'll close with that one today. Read it. I told him about the gracious hand of God and how it's been on me, about my conversations with the king. Say, I'm gonna tell you this right now, to catch the vision, you gotta tell what God has called and what God has done. You gotta show how God got you there. You gotta show the things that God's doing along the way. Let's stop giving praise to the complaints of what the enemy's doing in our lives and let's start pointing out the things that God is doing in our lives. If the church could show how good God is, more people would wanna be a part of him than if we're showing God as somebody who wants to zap you, right? And so let's start saying, hey, God's been good in my life. And when we sing songs like God is so good, let's shout it to the rooftops because God's been good and somebody needs to know the things that God has done to get you to where you are. At the lowest point of my life, the lowest points of my marriage, the lowest points of my ministry, I had men like Howard step in and say, you need to know where I've been. You need to know what I've done. You need to know what God has done. There were many people that showed up and said, I've been through this, I've done this, I want you to know the things that God can do. And I'm telling you right now, had they been absent, all I would have heard is how God can judge. And at some period in time, we need to understand this. Is there a time of God's judgment coming? Yes, but not today. This is not the end. This is the day of grace. And at some point, we need to look at the addicts. We need to look at the broken marriages. We need to look at the hurting. We need to look at the absence of men and say, hey, we should be broken over the condition of our hearts. Let's end this disgrace. Let's do something about it. Let's get up and let's go. And then he goes this. But then Sinbalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plans, scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked. I love this response. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding the wall. This is what, I, I'm telling you right now, I want you to take this last sentence back home with you. If there's anything you get from this sermon, it is this. If there's anything you have in your arsenal, it is this. 
When you start doing the will of God, when you start casting the vision, the enemy will start coming against it. But we need to remind him that he has no share, no legal right, and no historical claim to what God is doing in your life. In other words, hey, Satan, listen right now. You've got no place here. You've got no rights here. You've got no voice here. You're not going to set up camp in my mind. You're not going to steal the joy in my heart. This is what God has done. We're rebuilding the wall. We're doing what God's called us to do. And you have no no authority. Watch God do what he has said he's going to do. I'm telling you right now, too many people are letting the enemy talk. In James 4, and I'll close with this verse, humble yourselves before God. Verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what has been done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. But humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up in honor. Hey, I'm going to tell you this right now, and I just want to give it to the person that's waving their white flag. Stop surrendering to the world and the attack of the enemy. Surrender to God and watch victory come. Stop saying it's over and stop start looking at Satan and saying, this is done. You are finished. This is not your story. It is not your life. This, hey, if it's your children, it's not your child. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your home. It's not your church. It's not your community. It's not your country. This belongs to God. You watch. We build. Watch what God's going to do. This is his. And you have no claim here. And wouldn't that change your prayer life if you just walked into a rebellious teenager's room, sat on the bed and said, Satan, you have no claim here. In the name of Jesus Christ, you have no claim here. What would happen if we would drive by schools saying, Satan, you have no claim there? This isn't yours. Every day I drive my son to school, we out loud pray, out loud pray. Unfortunately, one of the parts of our prayer every single day has become, God, keep every school in our country safe. And anyone with evil intention that wants to take a foot and step it on the property, may they be met with your power and your presence. May conviction fall. May your rock stand in front of them and keep the children and teachers safe from anything Satan wants to do. So that today can be a day of knowledge, learning, friendship, and growth. So that today can be a day where people are pointed towards you. So that today, Lincoln can go safely and come back stronger instead of going and coming back broken. This doesn't belong to the enemy. This is the day the Lord has made. It ain't the day that Satan's given you. It ain't the day that the enemy has for you. This is not a life that Satan intended for you to have. This is not a life that Satan can control. This is the day God has made. So let's read. Rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because Satan has no power. God's calling cannot be stopped. He looked at Peter and he said, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think it's time for the army of God to get back into their mind. We're surrendering territory. He's not conquering it. Satan's not getting it. We're giving it. We need to take it back. In Jesus' name, we need to reclaim it. I don't know about you, but I I struggle a lot with my mind going to negative thoughts. Any me twos in here? I'm an overthinker. Where you at? All right? 
And an overthinker oftentimes thinks of the worst more than the good, right? I do. At some point in my mind as I read this, I got so convicted. Because I'm letting Satan have claim to an area that belongs to him. So I have started using this verse here lately this week. I haven't perfected this verse. But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want the enemy to get a foot in the door of the house that God has given us. And if that's going to happen, we got to start rebuking him. In Jesus' name, get behind me, Satan. You're not going to stop what God's doing. You can't have this. I'm not quitting, I'm not surrendering, and you have no rights here. Stand with me, grab somebody's hand. Let's close in a word of prayer. In the very next chapter, after he rebukes the enemy, you know what they do? They go to work. I almost put that point in to preach, but I really feel like, I don't know, um, I'm hoping this rains in your heart like it did in mine. This echoes that Kidron Valley stands out to you like it did in mine. I'm praying that God really gives peace and courage and encouragement to at least one family in here to keep going instead of giving up and surrendering where you're at, to, 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 to reclaim the territory. But the thing that you and I have to do is once God gives us a word, we got to go do something. Once God shows us something, we got to step out. You know, I, I, I look at this and I wonder... And I'm going to meddle, so I'm going to, I, can we cut off the camera? Um, give me two seconds. It's still red. <laughs> 